Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I am honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode 48 of season three of This Osteopathic Life. Today is number 21 in the daily podcast adventure for the month of November in 2021. We have been venturing through, most recently, concepts from the Positive Intelligence Programming book, and you can find more information at positiveintelligence.com. We're looking at the saboteurs, the ways they show up in our lives, and we're taking a different spin on that, seeing where the strengths might lie, seeing where our judgment of certain ways of being can exist, seeing where opportunities are to strike a balance in the ways that we show up. And I want to be clear that... These are my interpretations of a key concept, how they've resonated for me and become most useful for me in understanding myself, in recognizing what's showing up for other people, seeing ways that I have to grow, and I invite you to explore them from that perspective. Again, if you want to explore them more deeply and in greater detail through the form of programming, that's absolutely available to you, and I encourage you to listen in, to check those responses that you have at perhaps the surface level, and then allow yourself to peel away the layers, to dig a bit deeper and see what potential actually lies within. Today, we're going to be talking about the concept of pleaser. And it's interesting, as I put it in to pull up the definitions, it defaulted to people pleaser. And we could see why that is and how we might associate with that word. But if we just take a moment and think about pleaser, When we think about even the origins of that word, please, we can even look at pleasant, seeing pleasure come up through there and all of what really are positive connotations with that. Being willing to give and to contribute to finding the good, to focusing on feeling good. All of those can have some really powerful benefits. And we could see perhaps where challenges might come up. Who are we pleasing and why? And what does that look like? And what are the costs of that? And with all of these, as we have been walking through, we're seeing, right? Where does it begin? How far does it go? And what might be some unintended consequences of behaving in a certain way? So let's pull up pleaser on its own and look at the simple definition. A person or thing that offers pleasure or satisfaction. So you can be a person doing the pleasing. You can also be a source of pleasure or satisfaction, And noticing that, and do we become dependent on others for that? Do we become dependent on providing that for others, for our identity and way of being? And what does that look like? Thinking about something that is pleasing to the eye, we might seek that. We want to seek something that makes us feel better. And we can notice, as we have discussed in multiple episodes in the past and in the work of coaching, that it's not ever that thing that's making us feel better. It's what we're thinking about that thing. And sometimes putting that space between recognizing what the thought is, what our response is, can be contentious for some. 
And I say, let's look at that. Let's see why. When we think, no, actually, that beautiful thing, that scenery, that act that happened, that made me feel good. It made me feel hopeful. It made me feel loved. And that thing can be the trigger of bringing love through. It can be the stimulus. It can be the reason that you had a thought. But I would encourage you and invite you to check and see, was there some thought between seeing that piece of art, hearing that music played, enjoying a beautiful meal, and I'm putting some adjectives in here that might make it a little more complicated, but recognize we have thoughts and they might be as straightforward and as simple as, that's so beautiful. Someone painted that. How inspiring. That was delicious. They made that for me. I feel nourished. That resonates. Those lyrics, so beautiful. In those thoughts that we're having about whatever is being played or displayed or offered to us, brings us those feelings of satisfaction, of joy, of pleasure. And that's not diminishing what was created and crafted by another, but it's recognizing there is that relationship in our response to it. And other people might. Art can be a really useful way to examine this because some people might experience that same work of art in a very different way. I don't get it. That's not pretty. That noise. Right? We could hear all those different responses to the same pieces. And those people wouldn't necessarily feel pleasure or joy or loved. They might feel annoyed or confused or frustrated or left out. And that doesn't necessarily have to reflect poorly on the art. People are allowed to have their responses. And even then, even those responses that might be less than ideal, the act of having a response, tapping into emotion, is one of the great gifts of art in the world. And just noticing as well what expectations we have and what we're requiring to allow something to be deemed as pleasurable. How do we receive those gifts? And what do we then associate with the person who's providing them? Are we able to stay in a space of respect and inspiration and honoring? Do we take it for granted? Do we keep upping the ante? This person is always giving to us. If it's someone who's always performing acts of service for you, has that become the norm? Kind of get used to it, right? That baseline is reestablished and we lose sight of those gifts and of the effort of those people. And is there that sense from the person? If you are a person who is a giving person and that's your tendency, that's the way you express your love to the world and to the people around you in your relationships. Do you have to keep up and ante yourself? Right? If now I'm already doing all these things and I'm already offering this to the world and now that's what's expected of me and this is how I'm generating love and being noticed and being honored and being respected, I gotta keep doing this. And we could see how that could become an unsustainable model. And this is not diminishing the power and the importance and the capacity of pleasing to do great things in the world. But it's noticing the why behind it and the how behind it and the when in the matter of sustainability and the who, 
right? Am I ever the person who gets to be pleased in this process? Do I take care of me and honor my needs and check in to see what my reserve is and how much energy I have and what resources I have and if I can keep giving? And in a world where we do value giving and we also have a world where many people are very happy to receive, right? It can sometimes be challenging to decide. Can I say that this is the cap on that which I can give? Is that allowed? How would I feel if I did that? Who would I be if I paused on that or held up some boundary here? Now, as I mentioned, pleaser defaulted to people pleaser in the dictionary initially. And it shows up similarly, but I'll just offer these up and interested to see the response to the secondary part of the definition that's offered. So initially, it simply says someone or something that pleases or wants to please people. And the example is about a breed of dog. And we might all default to the golden retriever, right? The dog that is dedicated to the joy of its owner. And I think about that and I think about our two dogs who are Old English Sheepdog Poodle mixes. And we could get into a whole debate about the doodles. It works for us mostly, right? There is a lot of coat maintenance, but there's not a lot of shedding. So there's trade-offs in many directions. And I will say that they're less of people pleasers, right? They are happy to come and make known their needs. And they are different needs, the two of them. Um, The girl, Florin, right, she much needs activity and movement and lots and lots of walks and being able to roam free. And that is her space and she's making her needs known. And Fezzik, her brother, is very much a more sedentary soul, although he will go on the walks. He just doesn't take as many loops as she does, but he would be pet 24-7 and he will come up and he will nudge you and nudge you and nudge you and put his paws up even when there's super muddy paws and we could talk about that too. But they're not so much people pleasers. Now they will greet you right, and they will provide joy, but they seem to have this sense of themselves in this process. And this may be a very bizarre example, but it came up for me as I was thinking about that. And you might picture the dog who is absolutely always willing to do whatever is needed for their human. And we could take a step back and say, well, actually, right, in encouraging activity and getting outside in the winter and physical touch, maybe they are actually pleasing their people in their own ways while still having their needs met. And what an interesting opportunity to say, is that possible? Can I still be in that space of pleasing and of giving and still hold the boundary and have my needs met in that space? Because the follow-up definition, as I shared with you, has this secondary portion. A person who has an emotional need to please others, often at the expense of his or her own needs or desires. And just seeing what that means. And again, honoring the good and the graciousness and the capacity for connection that pleasers have. They usually tune into and see what the needs of others are. There's that great radar and empathy available. But does that come at the cost of not being able to tune in to what their needs are? Because if we are always outer focused, that lens may no longer be able to point inward. And I think about that. We've come up with vision a couple times here and nearsighted and farsightedness. So sometimes we're really good. It's seeing beyond us and far away and being able to hold in, but we try to read up close and it is all blurry. And I think about that with those who have a tendency toward people pleasing. And we don't have to categorize ourselves as a people pleaser, but I have a tendency 
to engage in people-pleasing behavior. Even just seeing it that way separates the who we are from what we're doing. And is it costing you that insight to know what it is you need, to be able to advocate for it, to be able to recognize it when it's actually being given to you, to challenge your capacity to receive? So seeing what might be in that space and just checking in to notice, am I doing this out of my own joy in pleasure and because I want to? Or do I feel like this is necessary and required of me in the only way to earn respect, love, connection? And can I find some space between that? Can I honor this amazing gift of empathy and care and giving that I have? Can I offer it to myself too? I don't have to exclude this external giving and pleasing, but can I include myself in that process? Now, this next piece, the counterpoint, if you will, much like the last two, took some time and surprised me. The first three were really clear. They were almost quite obvious to me. It's like, of course, those are the words and the concepts. And it was almost automatic. And these, it took a little more time and introspection and nuance to bring them forward. In some ways, it could feel like a reach, like, how am I going to make this work? But as soon as I was reading through the definitions and really thinking about the responses and the reflections on the different words, it became very much an, of course, of course, this is what shows up here. And so we're thinking about a counterpoint to pleaser. What came up for me and what came up through this internal discussion I have in preparation for these episodes was the idea of proud. And again, we could stop there and have a whole debate, a whole discussion, a whole dialogue. I love those D words for all the ways they bring us into the exchange of words, ideas, concepts, opinions, and grow our capacity to know and understand. And when I think proud, right, first I see King Richard <laughs> from Robin Hood. I have no idea why. I haven't watched that in a while, but it just came up. And he might be maybe one of the best and worst examples of proud. And from there, that natural segue, I see Mufasa, right, who very much embodies perhaps the most brilliant and resolute and altruistic version of proud, taking ownership but not in a conceited or arrogant way because we can often go there with proud. And thinking about proud oftentimes relative to someone else. So it can be easier to take in, at least this is my perception, a proud parent, a proud sibling, a proud child of their parents, a proud teacher of their student or vice versa, a proud coach of their athlete. In these relationships, there it feels more comfortable. Sometimes that internal self-pride can be harder to process because we get worried that someone is heading toward arrogance or conceit. And I'm offering if we can let there be space right, for proud to exist and not necessarily be problematic. But we can, of course, notice that it could drift in that direction. And I notice this a lot with the concepts of confidence and contentment. We get concerned about them because we think confidence and sometimes we hear arrogance, right? And we might think contentment, and you might think resigned. And so just noticing that we can have these experiences, these relationships with words and ways of being, and take the invitation, maybe expand the way we're engaging with them. So here, let's work through some of the definitions of proud. 
feeling or showing pride, such as having or displaying excessive self-esteem. And that one, whoosh, we could unpack in a whole investigative way. And the end of that sentence, I'm so curious, and I'd have to look. This is, again, Merriam-Webster Dictionary Online, absolutely fantastic resource. The thesaurus on here is wild and amazing. And yes, those are the words I am using for this word investigation tool since 1828, right? And thinking about when this was formulated and if there are definitions expanding as psychology is evolving and we're gaining a growing sense of sociological and behavioral science investigation. So as I shared with you in the last few episodes, I'm currently reading Fierce Self-Compassion by Kristen Neff, PhD. And there is a lengthy discussion, a thread drawn all through the book on that distinction between self-esteem and self-compassion. And here again is a way in our modern society, in our common culture, that we can investigate what we mean, right? And self-esteem does lend itself toward some of that chest-puffing, achievement-oriented way of thinking about oneself versus self-compassion. And if I just think those two, self-esteem feels like it's up high in the head, it's big, broad, it's kind of expanding, but like in a balloon that's getting overinflated, right? That can be where it goes pretty quickly. And self-compassion feels lower in in the chest. And it's also broad and wide, but it feels grounding and not in an anchoring way, but in a solid, structurally sound, foundational, functional way. And so seeing that proud when we related to self-esteem can go toward that, right? Kind of almost unmanageable threat to pop. We think about that overinflated balloon. But if we think about having or displaying, and the word excessive too, right, can be a leading word, having or displaying sufficient self-compassion, I see then that Mufasa proud that shows up. And we have to examine the next definition that presents itself because I presented this as the counterpoint to pleaser. But looking at definition of proud, feeling or showing pride, such as much pleased, And thinking about that, because as we looked at pleaser, the focus there was largely external, right? On offering pleasure and offering service and giving to others. That's the way that generally shows up, the way we associate with it and think about it. And the pleasing of proud, being pleased with oneself, is that internal. And again, that can look very ego-driven and problematic in that way. But again, is there room in here for it to mean acknowledgement of self, awareness of self, love of self, support of self, compassion for self. And how different would that look and feel? And noticing if you tend toward one or the other of those, if we think about self-esteem and how do you gain it, is a lot of external achievement in the medical professions that's absolutely how it's designed. We are told from the very beginning, before you ever even step into any house of medicine, any school of medicine, any professional medical training program, you already have to have so many boxes checked. And that's how we're associating our worth. And that's how we're often building our self-esteem. 
And while it can seem like you have a lot of control over it, work hard enough, make the right relationships, show up, study all of these pieces, right? I am contributing to that. But there are many variables beyond our control. And there are times when things probably aren't going to go in the direction we want them to go. And that, unlike that self-compassion space, is not a solid structural foundation. It is a very rickety scaffolding. And if one of those legs comes out from under, the whole thing collapses. And then we lose that sense of self. Or we realize we never really had it. And we've associated all of our value and worth with these external things, numbers, grades, reports, letters. And we can own our successes. We can celebrate them. We can honor the rewards for the work that we have done. Absolutely. But also seeing that is not us. Those are things that we're doing. And we can love, honor, and appreciate them and not require them to define who and how we are. And self-compassion is where we run deeper than that. And can we tap into it and see who and how we are independent of all those things and then welcome them in. Welcome in what it is you love and you enjoy and about which you are curious and that lights you up and calls you to take on big tasks, right? hard work. And we talked a little bit about that as well. Does the work have to be hard? Can there be play and joy in there? And maybe it's both, right? Hard work that you enjoy doing and own that. Now, this next definition, having proper self-respect. Again, these feel so loaded to me as I read through them. And who's saying, What's proper self-respect? And who is deeming that for you? Someone telling you when you have reached that level, how do you decide what that looks like for yourself? And if we embrace that as something to which we can aspire that is attainable for us, what happens when we have that self-respect intact? And again, notice the nuance. Perhaps this resonates for you, or perhaps you're wanting to step more into that space of self-compassion and unconditional love for yourself. When we do have self-respect, we might uphold our pleaser status with some different boundaries and step into that act of pleasing because we want to, because we care and we have empathy and we notice the need and we see that our skill set can fit that need and we can do so without expecting a specific return. We can do so without needing that to define us or qualify us as good or worthy. Right? And so that element of proud may help us to temper the behavior we might have as a default, as a pleaser. And looking in here, proud also comes up with vigorous or spirited. And that one you might think, well, there's not much opposition or anti-sentiment here with pleaser because a pleaser is probably quite vigorous and spirited in those external acts. And here again, can we turn some of that inward? And it's not in a go from being a pleaser to being 100% selfish and never doing anything for anyone else and just thinking about yourself all the time. It's not flipping a switch. It's turning a dial. And I like to think also it's really expanding the sphere because all of these are showing us the human experience. It's showing us the feelings we have and the actions we take because of those feelings. And it's giving us the opportunity to say, oh, I've been spending a lot of time in this certain part of the sphere of the full human experience. And there are some benefits, right? There's some gifts here. 
And I can see because I spent all my time here and I go right to the edge of it, it can sometimes become problematic. It can undermine my own health and sustainability. It can limit my capacity to connect in relationships. It can make it so that my work is not sustainable. And so what if I can rotate that dial and I picture too, you know, the choices where you would spin it and a certain word would come up, you know, in children's books, whatever you might have. And what if we can rotate and we can welcome some forward and we can see what the gifts are in the others and we can recognize how they're showing up in and for others. And perhaps too, if we expand that sphere and welcome in some different ways of being, or at least acknowledgement that there are these different ways of being, how might that allow us to step into our strength? We talk about the sage and positive intelligence. How would this deepened awareness and the recognition of the gifts of how others are showing up or how I do show up in different situations might be available to me? And how my vigorous and spirited pride offer me the opportunity to see my tendency toward pleasing in a different way and still show up with that, with a new perspective, perhaps with a different boundary, and inclusive of myself and the acknowledgement of my own needs, wants, desires, ways of being in this space. So just considering how you might make some shifts, create some ease, build awareness for yourself. And as we toggle between these, pleaser and proud, and see right where there might actually be some overlap and some insight and some new ways to engage. If you've been enjoying these discussions over these past now six episodes and you'd like to dive deeper, you'd like to have conversations with others live about how this resonates for them, join me at thisosteopathiclife.com. Sign up for the newsletter. We're going to be creating a new group experience And this is for physicians and also non-physicians. This is an open enrollment opportunity. And we're going to explore some of these concepts. We're going to turn them in all different directions, see all the different angles we can take, and offer opportunity to one another to create connection, to gain understanding, to step into a deeper knowing of ourselves, acknowledgement of each other, and find new ways to truly be for the health of all things. I thank you for joining me on this journey. Hard to believe we're tracking into that final arc of the whole picture, including within the latter arc of this internal episode extravaganza. And I so appreciate you joining me here for the episodes on the frequency that works best for you. This is Dr. Millie Beakey with This Osteopathic Life. Thank you for listening.